0: Welcome to Everyday Animism, a weekly podcast exploring all things animism, particularly how animism impacts everyday life. The podcast is hosted by Kelly Harrell, Brandis Schnabel, and Janet Roper. Let's dive in. Hello. Hello. Welcome to the podcast, which we have definitely not started three times already. Hello, Janet. All right.
1: Are we all here? We're all here.
0: Yay. So we wanted this week to talk about uh, raising little animists. And I thought it would be interesting to talk about, um, you know, because Kelly and I have small humans, but also, you know, I was reflecting, in thinking about it today, I was also reflecting on sort of how differently my kid experiences the world, even not yet old enough to identify as an animist or, you know, any of that, but how differently her experience of the world may be different based on um, how she's raised by me, but also how I was raised and how I eventually was not allowed to remain animist in the way that I think kids just are animists,
2: right? definitely i mean that's one leveling factor in the spiritual schema we are all born animists we are taught not to be
1: yeah yeah and i want to say that even though i don't have any kids i think this is one of the most important topics um that we've discussed thus far because particularly in the day and age that we live we're basically going to hell in a handbasket in one way or another I can't think of anything more important than teaching future generations about our relationship and the animism um, that we naturally have, and how to reclaim that.
0: Yeah, I agree, and I don't know that. Um, I, you know, I'll I'll offer the disclaimer that you know, none of us are really experts on that, but I think it's, I think it's good to just talk about how we're navigating it ourselves because I don't know that any of the three of us were raised explicitly in an animistic way completely. I think the fact that we all came back to it probably means that we were given some of it as kids, but I know that I'm raising my kid a lot more intentionally animistically than I was raised, especially around the holidays.
1: I see it for myself more in hindsight um it wasn't called animism because my grandparents had a farm and you know you just went to the farm and i can see in hindsight how particularly my parents would try to show me something and i didn't pay attention mm-hmm. so i'm grateful to be able to have that hindsight and to be able to come back to animism
2: i was raised with an animistic perspective specifically by in being close to my grandfather who was completely immersed in the awareness that components of nature have their own spiritual awareness and their own roles, their own duties, and that it's all working together to some end and that humans have to recognize what their role in that is. Um, it did not stop the fact that after a certain age, I was expected to assimilate in a in a cultural way that I can't even really explain and and I'm not saying like he expected me to assimilate him or that my mother did but but I feel like for me specifically as a creative mind and someone who is given to dwell in and write plots and you know fictional stuff there was a point where people were like you got to figure out what you're going to do with the rest of your life and it can't include this. And so it it was just a lot of contradiction for me in childhood and definitely young adulthood.
0: Yeah. And I don't, I don't know that I was necessarily deterred or explicitly forbidden or anything, but I, I definitely felt that the things that came naturally to me, um, no one was, No one was modeling them for me. So it was clear that at some point it got put down just because I didn't see people older than me doing any of it.
2: I did. I mean, my, my grandfather, it was a lived experience for him and it was something that he expected me and my sister to carry on. And we both have in our, in our own ways and in different ways, but it didn't change the fact that I was also expected to participate in these other uh, cultural norms that did not support that, even though my home experience did, and it was deeply ingrained in me, and I was capable of holding on to it, yeah. it, it doesn't change that the cultural influence was, you know, no, this can't come along with you, and it did in the background, like you know, through my teen years, and by the time I was in college, I was I was back in it. But there was definitely, like, this puberty phase where I just couldn't do it all.
0: It'll be interesting to see if our kids, you know, if that phase is just a tough one in which to, I don't know, that's a tough phase in general, so, you know, there will be that anyway.
2: And there's there's an expression, an old, like, European pagan expression around, like, From the point that your child begins to lose teeth, like up to that point, you need to have the strongest um, sorcerer in their lives shaping them. And from the point that they start losing teeth, you need to have the strongest scientist shaping them. And I find that to be accurate, really accurate in terms of where my own kids have progressed. There's a point where they're very given to fantasy and the liveliness of themselves and everything around them Mm -hmm. and then there's a point where they start wanting to know why why does it work this way why does it do this and you have to be able to answer both of those polarities without completely destroying one or the other
1: I've never heard that before and I think that's a really fascinating um, take
2: I wrote a blog about it like uh, it's probably been three or four years ago now. Well, when my kids started losing teeth, I wrote about the that in the old Norse context. There's actually a story in the Eddas that pertains to when kids start losing their teeth. This is the transition that they go through. The word animist isn't in there anywhere. And yet that is part of the transition that they're faced with in that age range. They Culturally, there's sort of a choice, but there doesn't have to be a choice. It's more like, how do we hold all of that information together and go forward, sort of in this whole human way?
0: Yeah, yeah. Hmm. So, how um, I guess, I, and I'm asking like myself too, but how how are we raising animistic? children or raising children animistically because i guess it's sort of up to them whether they identify well,
2: really yeah. animists and for for us i mean yes the nature part of it has been huge that you you have to respect nature each component of nature has its own agency and it's our job to respect that we live in one space and we have to be participating in the spiritual well-being of that space but also people like in in a lot of the modern discussions on animism and um like agency everybody bases that on nature which is great whether they're actually you know doing all the right things in that relationship not for me to decide but they leave people out of it and the fact that if you are an active participant in an animistic community, you can't ignore the other people who make up that community and getting my kids to understand that from a young age. And that's something that did, I think, get left out for me there. I mean, there's a lot of bias that can be inherited in that gap and unconsciously or consciously. And I've worked really hard for my kids to understand that, people are part of this, even the people that are probably working against everything that you're working for. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. And I think that's what I mean by like, you know, we, I don't think any of the three of us likely came up through to adulthood without some part of this being left out. And that's, and, and that's where like at least some portion of it, like we are kind of inventing intuitively or at least our process for giving it to our kids. I know for me, like there's just no, no framework handed to me other there's than. No elder.
2: Hmm? There's no elder. Right. There's no We're- elder who says, these are the parameters under which you do this. Not just this is the way our community does it, but this is the way nature does it. And this is a way that we've managed to honor it and it's organic and real and growing. And you take this ritual and, and build it the way it works for you and pass it on. Nobody's doing that. Nobody yeah. has helped us
1: do that. And without that help, it feels like we're swimming upstream.
0: Cause we are. I mean, yep. and we're, we're, I feel like, you know, we're always understanding it to a greater degree ourselves. So it's not like we're teaching a finite set of ideas or a finite understanding of the universe around us or the existence around us or agency, we're all still exploring it. We've explored it on this podcast. We talk about it all the time. It's shifted in the time that I've known both of you for all of us. And so it's really challenging to not have. It makes me realize that there's a really understandable component to why parents You know, I've I I've talked to parents who kind of like they don't really believe in a certain religion or they don't they're not religious, but they still send their kids to church or something like they're trying to give them something they don't have. Or they're trying to they're trying to find the thing that will have all the answers. And I get that yearning to like have some book or person or set of guidelines that will say this is what your kids need to know and this is what and, and to maybe have that already for myself too but neither of those things exist so it's it's a hard way to raise a kid
2: it is a hard way it's a lonely way i mean there's just the lack of parenting resources in that and there's the what am i leaving out that i don't even know i'm leaving out that maybe yeah. my kid needs
1: yeah do you find that the kids lead you in that direction sometime of telling you what they need?
2: Embarrassingly so.
1: Ah. Yeah. Which, you know, that's good that the kids know that.
2: It is good that they know it. And it's it's hard when your kid is demanding that you have a skill that you don't have. Yeah. yeah. It's home. The,
0: and and also when they have to ask for it, it means you're, you've not been giving it to them. And so there, I mean, that's the whole, it's a whole big chunk of like parenting guilt is the, the realization at multiple points that like your kid has evolved further down their path and you didn't notice Mm -hmm. in this way in which they're, they're reaching out for something. It means they don't already have it. And so you're constantly trying to fail in the right direction, like constantly like evaluating what's the What's the next thing they need? Some of it requires them telling you. So some of it is just part of of it. Um, And for me, I don't know. I guess like for me, animism is hard to explain to a four-year-old. And yet also it's, it's, I'm not sure it needs explained sometimes because she doesn't yet really have maybe some stuff she learns at school. She doesn't really have that. That reframe yet. She's, you know, I talk about things a certain way and she just accepts that that's the way we talk about them. Um, I talk to her about her spirit allies and her ancestors, and sometimes when she's not feeling well or she's afraid, or like we talk about who she can reach for um, and who she holds inside of her that makes her strong. Um, And we talk about nature, I think, a lot differently than. Uh, I think non-animist, n- non-animist oriented families do um, a lot more. I think the way I wanted to, when I was a kid, I, I mean, I talked to everything when I was a kid. I've, I've often joked. I was like the kid that went out and had names for all the trees, talked to them like, um, and I encourage that in her, even in probably too much. Cause she's, <laughs> she's not someone who goes out and talks to trees, but like, I'm constantly trying to make it okay for her to do that, if that happens, or for her to, and also understand that nature isn't just going outside, that it's also in our house, and that our house also is something that deserves respect, and her belongings, her her toys, her space, Um there's just no way in which animism doesn't play a part in my parenting if I am engaging in an animistic relationship with everything around me.
2: I think that if there is a point that, like you kind of already said, if there's a need that isn't being met, they have an intuitive or gut level way of bringing that up. and. You know, and for me, one of the ways that I felt deeply suppressed as a child, particularly with spiritual stuff, is that I was having intuitive and you know what other people would call supernatural experiences as a really young child and that I did not have a container for I no nobody you know that that wasn't even part of the animistic discussion that we were having and so a lot of my vigilance with my kids has been um What about if that starts with them, like, you know, how how to handle that and how to talk about that and how to give them a structure for why that might happen to begin with? You know, why would a spirit be displaced? Why would it have a need to reach out to a living person? So I think All the things that you're saying, Brandy, from a discussion of nature and how you sit in to that and what your resources are internally and externally, part of that that I felt I was missing and I direly needed. Again, Stephen King taught me everything I needed to know about depossession and death walking. Um, I really want to have those tools built in for my kids. Not just so that they know what to do and that they can come to me if they start having experiences like that, but so that they understand they are also natural. They they are also part of what is supposed to happen in life. And the living plays a role in helping that
1: ease. I think that's yeah. so important that you stress that it is natural as opposed to what we always hear, quote unquote, the supernatural yeah. above and beyond, yeah. you know.
0: Absolutely, and I and I had some of those experiences also, and I stuffed them in places they didn't really fit in in my in my mind anyway, and I've spent a lifetime unpacking them as an adult, and yeah, I, I mean we don't want to give that to our kids,
2: yeah, and I mean, I. Somehow knew how to handle those things. Like there were a million other things I didn't know how to handle, but I did those. They were still terrifying. They were still things I was not prepared for. And some elder, you know, coulda shoulda known how to deal with that.
0: Yeah. Lack of elders. And I, I mean, I think that's part of being an animist and a parent is that like we're having to become the elders we didn't have and we're having to do it for little humans who are as a result having a very different experience of life than we are and so they may come up with issues that like we can't anticipate because we didn't have them we didn't even have space for them
2: yeah and doing that real time like gaining that elderhood real time while at the same time being challenged to hold it in place for a person whose job is to test it. Judas priest.
1: Yeah. And doing it at a time when life is changing so quickly and rapidly for everyone.
2: Yeah. It is too. There's no denying, you know, there's no long, um, steady predictability right now.
0: Yeah. And, I mean, I think that's the new, I don't even know if it's new, but I think that's all of that is in motion. So our kids are in motion growing into adulthood. We are constantly evolving into ideally good elderhood to eventually become good ancestorhood. And then the world around us is evolving as well. I mean, maybe partly because of those other evolutions, you know, it's like chicken egg. Are we, are we having to evolve because of an evolving world or vice versa or both simultaneously all the time, but it's just a very moving target. And I think that's, um, I think it's important to witness just, I mean, for us to witness for anyone listening and for ourselves that that's a very different experience than I think some parents who are, um Raising their kids from a you know a specific doctrine that has existed for a long time, there are ways in which they have to be adaptable and and you know adapt to a changing world. But there are things for people who have you know ancient predictable structure, you know whatever whatever yeah. the adjective is for that framework, they're they're not having to invent the wheel while running on it.
2: Yes, it's a good it, way to put it. it. It's important to say that, you know, we don't even culturally value or create the space, readily available space for people to gain parenting skills, let alone any of the, you know, spiritual overlay of animism that that's just not part of the way we do things. And I I do think in my limited experience with raising kids, that knowing what they're developmentally ready for is important in terms of how you talk about the world that they have to live among with other people and socialization and culture and the world that they're experiencing at a personal spiritual and family spiritual level, you know, knowing how and when to interject certain perspectives and what support they need in that is, is really challenging. And I think, you know in my studies of other cultures the things like the age of accountability and things like you know they become developmentally ready to to do their own engagement spiritually at this age you know it's it's a lot to take on it is its own kind of homeschooling in a way
0: yeah and it it really is i i agree it's important to understand like what Cause I think, you know, we all come into the world animists and we all have this understanding of our existence and where we're existing. Um, But the language around it, you know, living in our culture, you know, it just, you know, it's like what you were talking about, Kelly, with like death walking or understanding experiences with the dead um, or with spirits or the unseen or, you know, having you know, perceptive or intuitive experiences that are not easily explained in a mainstream way, talking about them can create fear you didn't intend to create because of other, other cultural stuff, you know, like you talk about dead people and like, you know, there's all this other narrative that exists around scary ghosts and being possessed and exorcisms. And so it's, you have to like my sense of that and a lot of it, I am lucky to get to watch you do first because um, your kids are older, <laughs> but um a lot of it, my sense is like, I I'm having to do it intuitively. I, I have watched Tilly work through different fears that I know are not totally based internally. And as she's gotten older, conversations have just happened like I don't talk to her a lot about the dead because I also don't want her to go to school and terrify all of her classmates and uh because she just her understanding of dead is just not quite at a point where we can talk about people walking around as ghosts like she doesn't understand what it means yet and or she does but the way we would talk about it would be really limited because she's just now learning to have really nuanced conversation whereas the conversations you probably have with the twins are a lot deeper and a lot more but then I'm sure there's stuff that you still haven't talked with them about because you know maturity as well
2: they're there though and that that's kind of where things are changing um like one of them is very Ready and you know, willing to brace intuition and and perception, but is afraid of not got the confidence to really say this is the experience that I'm having. And the other one is very much, um, I'm 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 busy right now. <laughs> you know, like just you know, whatever. Yeah, and has a very very just he's it's just his maturity level is just not quite there. And and he's they're still young enough that it's part maturity and it's also partly like he just has a different take on things and his personality is different and I want to be sensitive to that also, but they're approaching that age of accountability. Like you know, one of the things that is that sort of wives' tale pagan transition, you like losing teeth and moving into the more grounded how things work reality they, you start losing your window to shape their consciousness. They are yours to shape for, you know, kind of sort of the first five years of their lives. And then once they get out of that window and you see it as somebody who is deeply invested in the spiritual perspective of everything, you see it when it's happening and it's, it's thrilling because they're getting older and you, See all these places where you're like, well, damn, that worked. And then there are these other places where you're like, overshot that one a little or, oh, there's a gaping hole that we never discussed. But their consciousness begins to close off to you. And so, you know, when they start having ideas from their friends about how spiritual things work, their friends start to get weighted a lot more heavily than you do. If you haven't already gotten that instilled before that consciousness begins to be be its own container, there's really only so much as a parent that you can do.
1: I just have to say I can only appreciate um, the fine line that parents walk in working with their kids.
0: Yeah, that is, it is a fine line. Cause yeah, I mean, introducing things too quickly or too intensely or too soon, that's a whole other thing. And then, yeah, you got to get it in before the window closes and adolescence sets in or pre-adolescence even like,
2: yeah. And I mean, do they have a pre at this point? Because I mean, you know, physiologically, they're they're chemically skipping the whole, you know, we've invented the social construct of tween, but in terms yeah. of how they physically develop now, they skip all of that. They just kind of go straight into like full on, holy shit.
0: Yeah. It's all terrifying. <laughs> it is, though. I mean, it's amazing. Too.
2: It's, it's because we haven't been supported as parents. You know, it's because we weren't eldered into having a whole spiritual perspective in our formation.
1: And I would think that the group um, of people who can help with that now is very limited.
2: Well, yeah, I
1: mean, it I mean, is for me. That's Kelly.
2: <laughs> it's it is limited because, you know, just. From a pagan community perspective, we're not all having the same conversation. And from an overall cultural perspective, people just frown upon animism. I mean, even in the pagan community, they do. It's considered archaic and not part of the tools of child-fearing.
0: And I mean, you know, I say it's all terrifying, but it is also really amazing to get to do it differently. So I I don't wanna, you know, if we have people listening who are animists and future parents, I don't wanna like terrify you because it isn't it's also amazing to get to heal sort of retroactively some of the things, you know, I didn't get as a child. Um I I still remember very vividly when Tilly was really young. Um, I mean, old enough that I could talk to her about things um, and introducing her to a thunderstorm, like as a thing. I remember that. um, It was really profound to get to because I remember my experience of that being very lonely and isolated, my experience of sky and nature and the way I existed alongside of it. And that being very special, but very private and alone for me. And getting to at least offer it to my kid, however she'll frame it for herself eventually. um, I think it's one of the ways we get to heal ourselves, too.
2: Agreed. Whether it's fair, I don't know. But yes, it's closure.
0: Yeah and in some in in some ways it's not even closure but something new entirely. We get to do things we might have not even gotten to do as we were as we were developing ourselves.
2: Yes. And in that sense is how we create ourselves as ancestors. You know, it it's not just about assuring lineage but it it is about saying look this is perspective that you can carry throughout your life. It can be in support of who you are. It can teach you how to support everyone around you and you can pass it on. Yeah.
0: And I think also, you know, the good elder, good ancestor thing relies on our ability, not just to fix what we didn't get or to give what we got, but to also look at how our kids, the world our our, our kids grow up in and recognize where they may have needs that we couldn't have anticipated and they're living in a world we couldn't have anticipated and be able to show up for that too.
2: Absolutely. There's a timelessness to honoring the independence and the liveliness and the agency of everything that it, it transcends so many boundaries and yet you know, when we hold it badly or, or we become separate from that awareness, so many bad things can happen. So yes, it has to evolve. Yeah. Hmm. So
0: for someone who might, I'm just thinking how to, how to kind of wrap this into something digestible for someone who's considering this topic. Um, and maybe hasn't thought about how to raise their kids with an understanding or awareness of animism or doesn't have kids yet. What is a, you know, a tangible framework we can offer going into it? A first thing to consider or to try um, when trying to raise your kids a little differently or in this framework at all.
2: I think along the same lines as, how i teach students who are trying to assimilate into their intuition is you know understand that intuition equals confidence you you cannot have solid intuition without confidence and that confidence comes from a continuous validation of your own perspective and I don't mean your own perspective like I believe this and therefore everybody should also but validating your own perceptions and your feelings and in some ways your own boundaries when you have that kind of self-validation you are more porous you are more open to what the space around you can convey what it needs and and what the unifying factors of that are. So listen to your child. In other words, validate their observations, their experiences, the things Mm -hmm. they choose to share with you.
0: Yeah. And I, and I would add, I would say ditto to all of that. And also add um, for me, it's been important for me to not, hide or lessen any of my practices or beliefs or how I talk, like to not, to not mainstream any of it with, with my kid to, to talk the way I talk to myself about my, my animistic relationship with the world around me. So I, sometimes that's uncomfortable because I don't talk a lot with my spouse about animism. Uh, He, you know, we don't have a shared or identical experience of the world he identifies as atheist and um he's supportive in the way that he in the ways that he can be it you know we don't have conflict around it but we don't have a lot of ongoing dialogue so sometimes i'm talking to my kid about things in language that he doesn't often hear and that i don't always verbalize out loud for other people because my practice is so so solitary outside of shared spaces So I I would say, too, it's worth getting comfortable talking about your own experience and practices so that it's not an awkward stumbling when you need to do it for your kid.
2: Yeah, well said.
1: The one takeaway I have from today's conversation was in listening to you to talk, um, how your kids were asking you questions that you um, didn't feel like you had the answers for. It just reminds me of the wisdom of kids. I used to teach and I was astounded on a daily basis at the wisdom that the kids that would show in one way, shape or form.
0: Mm. Yeah, listening to your kids is good. Listening to your kids and also I mean, listening to the part of you that knows the answers as well. I don't know that we don't always know what to say. I, I think we aren't always yet comfortable saying what we think we're being led to say, and it's, and it's, I think it's okay to say it. That too.
1: I like that. I do too.
0: I should have written it down.
1: I know. I think that <laughs> stuff all that way, go back and listen to that. What? That's another t-shirt moment in my book.
2: <laughs> we got to start cranking out the t-shirts.
1: I know. We could all Definitely. be millionaires with all these ideas we've had for t-shirts. No. <laughs> yeah.
0: Ugh. Well, thank you. Uh, I feel like I always end up saying stuff on this podcast that just I I know it once I've said it here, and then I'm like, well, shit. Now I got to go think about that a little bit now that it came out of my mouth. So thank you for that. It's a good thing.
1: It is a good mm-hmm. thing.
0: Yes, it's really good. All right. Well, have uh, have a great week, everyone. We are going to be going to be talking next week about solstice. Um how we observe, what our understanding of it is, um, what it means, um, and how you might be able to also touch into that as well. So and we'll talk a little bit about how we observe with our kids too, because we didn't get to that today. So we'll peek into that topic as well. So thank you, ladies. <laughs> Thank you. We will see
1: you next week. Everyone take good care. Bye-bye. Thank you.
0: Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you'd like more information on Kelly, Brandis, or Janet, or to listen to past episodes of our podcast, get some more information on our resource page, you can find all of those tidbits at everydayanimism.tumblr.com. See you next week.